guys, Dr. Pinesit here, and we continue to talk about systemic racism in education. We are moving through the ranks, guys. This is the fourth day in a row. We have been live. We're going to be live again tomorrow. Are you ready to talk about racism in med school admissions? If you've been wondering, how does race play into admissions, and what do I need to know? This is the video for you guys. Let's get it started. Introduce you guys. We are live. Everyone say what up. But stop making excuses. Stop whining. Stop, right? Get at it. No excuses, just dominate. All right, guys, like I said, this is four days in a row. I'm Dr. Hunter Pines and the study doc. As always, I'm trying to what? Bring you guys positivity, productivity to help you guys be your best, to help you guys become successful students, become successful pre-meds, live your dreams. That's what we're here for. And today we're talking about med school admissions and if there's racism and if there's discrimination and what you need to know about it to get yourself into medical school. So Armand, what is up? Brett, hello. I love you too. Thank you. I appreciate the love. Everybody who's been sending me very supportive messages through this time, I really appreciate it. I think this is a difficult topic to talk about because sometimes it's easy, right, to get not offended, but sometimes I feel like in the society, it's something we can, I guess we can talk about another time, um, is that I feel like, and I was just talking to my dad about this yesterday, two days ago, and I feel like people will write off an entire person because they disagree with one thing. And people refuse to listen to people who disagree with them. And I think what we have to do a better job of is debating, is discussing, is looking at the nuances of people's points and not saying, oh, you know what? Someone said one thing that I disagree with. So that undoes the 99% of stuff they say that I agree with. Right? We have to be able to dialogue about things. So this is one of those subjects that some people are not happy that I'm discussing. But I hope that you guys all understand it's important to discuss this and I won't shy away from issues. It's we have to talk about this stuff. Yep. And no, Yusuf, I didn't get your email. If you sent it today, I haven't checked my email today. Yusuf, so no, I have not seen it. <laughs> all right, guys. Yasinia is here. Uh, Hadi's here. What's up, Hadi? Been a little bit. Brant, what is that, man? Uh, Kasim. All right, Jay is back again. Jay, I've seen you four days in a row. I love it. Jonathan, also four days in a row. Utham. Okay, so Meryl, taking time for your business will be with us. Demarion, it's a new name today. What up? Okay, so we're talking about med school admissions and racism. What have you guys heard about med school admissions and how race plays into medical school admissions? I asked this question because there is a, <laughs> and one of my students sent me a message uh, sharing a screenshot from one of these pre-med groups where this myth was being perpetuated and pushed forward, where essentially this student was presenting their statistics and asking, hey, what are my chances of getting in? And the person who was responding to them said, oh, you know what? Uh, your chances are not that good, but wait a minute, are you a minority? Oh, you're a minority? Oh, your chances are great. You're gonna get in. And I think that when we think about admissions, a lot of people like to say that it's easier for black students to get in, that there are unqualified black students who get into medical school, that there are unqualified minority students. And then the counter to that, right, the, the opposite side of that coin is that you have students who say, you know what, I'm Asian, I'm overrepresented, so I can't get in. Or I'm white, I'm overrepresented, so I'm going to be discriminated against. And what we have to do, guys, it's very important to stay out of myth, to stay out of lore, to stay out of all of that and actually focus concretely on the facts of the situation and what's actually happening. And the reason I say that is because the myth that it's easier to get into medical school if you are black or you're an underrepresented minority is not accurate. And the reason I say it's not accurate and it doesn't fit fully is because we are missing what's in between the crack. And the equivalent, guys, to saying that you, people get into medical school because of the color of their skin, and the color of your skin, if, if it's dark, makes it easier to get into medical school, is like the overgeneralization, the oversimplification of when people were saying that Black people were dying at a disproportionate rate from COVID simply because they were drinking too much and doing too many drugs. Do you guys remember when people were saying that? That black people drink too much and that's why they're dying at a higher rate from COVID. And people were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, what? We have to look at what is actually happening. What is actually going on? And look at the underlying factors. 
The reason that black people die at a higher percentage from COVID are numerous, are widespread. There's a ton of different reasons that add to that equation of black people dying at disproportionate weight from COVID. One, poor health status. Why poor health status? Because black people are less likely to go to the physician, to have primary care, to be insured, to do all those things. So preventative care is missing in the black community. There's also a distrust factor. So even when black people do have access, they are less likely to utilize said access. They are less likely to follow the regimens prescribed to them by the physicians. And there's a lot of distrust, all these things. So it's a cycle that perpetuates. Then an illness hits, they have more comorbidities, right? They're in poor health. And then again, we come back to access or lack of accessing that access. And so they aren't getting help at the same rate of other people. And bada bing, bada bam, you get high death rates. When it comes to admissions and being a minority, when you are underrepresented in medicine, there is a reason you're underrepresented in medicine. A reason you are underrepresented in medicine. And when we talk about this, this is so important and so key because what medical schools are attempting to do is to create a way that they can identify candidates who are disadvantaged. And hear me and hear me now. This is what happens. Pay very close attention. There are medical schools who incorrectly ascribe being a minority with being disadvantaged. And so what happens is, is they kind of use like a little cheat code that say, oh, this person is a minority, so they are likely disadvantaged. Statistically, that is true. However, here's the crazy part. When it comes to medical school admissions, it actually is not true. It actually is not true in medical school admissions. Because, and this we got in this a little bit yesterday, talking about the difference, not all black people are the same. And so if you look at the blacks that get admitted to medical school, more often than not, and at a huge high rate clip, 80 something percent actually, is the, 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 the statistic, are actually African black. And American blacks in medical school are very, very rare. Very, very rare. And the reason this happens is because African blacks are not as disadvantaged as American blacks. When you look at the statistics, most African blacks who apply to medical school have parents who are highly educated from Africa. Number one profession, you guys know what the number, what's the, what would you guys guess? And again, I've seen all the statistics, right? What's the number one profession for African blacks' parents applying to medical school? What would you guess? Richard, what up? Everyone congratulate Richard. Richard just got into UCSD. He's getting to stay at his UCSD. Congratulate him. I'm gonna wait, guys, we're live action. We're, we're having a discussion. What's the number one profession of African black parents? It's not physician. Doctors is too general. They're the other type of doctor. Yes, you guys are guessing right on it. So top three are non-medical doctor, PhDs, right? Also in the top three, engineers. Also in the top three, Lawyers, <laughs> engineers, lawyers, and PhDers. That's the background of these parents. So they're highly educated, which, right? Educated parents translates to what, guys? Advantages for the, the child. And so what ends up happening is that most blacks that are admitted are actually of African descent, near close African descent. And it's because they're not truly disadvantaged. And so what you'll see is that schools will try to use race as a marker of disadvantage, and it isn't exactly accurate. And so that's what ends up happening. Does everybody understand what I'm saying right now? But the intention is not to select people based on race. The intention is to use statistics to find and identify disadvantaged students so that they can look at the distance traveled. Does this make sense to everybody?
Because we have to follow this first for this whole thing to set up. Medical schools are trying to identify students who should not have been able to get to the application, but by some miracle did so. And so even if they have a 500 MCAT, or they have a 3.1 GPA or a 3.2 GPA, right? I say 3.1 because lower tier schools, their cutoff is that low. They're looking for students who meet the minimum cutoff. So they're qualified. They have a passable MCAT score. They have a passable GPA, but they're saying, hey, this student being able to score 500, their English second language, they didn't go to elementary school. They were homeless most of their lives. Their parents make $15,000 a year combined. They had to work full-time during college. They had to work full-time during their MCAT studying. Yet they managed to get a 500? That 500 is very impressive. And I say all this because we all have to, everyone like the video right now or comment right now, you understand so we can move forward. People often ask me how my students do on the MCAT. And what I always respond with is my students do the best of their ability. And for some of my students, that is a 500. Some of my students, that is a 505. Why? Because many of my students are disadvantaged students who have obstacles and have obligations that they are not able to remove from their lives to be able to adequately get at the MCAT to drive their score up to 510 or 515. And I'll give you guys the practical example of this. I have a wonderful student who's amazing, who's gonna get in this cycle, who's gonna be an incredible doctor, who's gonna change the world. She's incredible at everything she does. But this student can't get above a 505 on the MCAT, has tried multiple times, can't move above 505. And she gets down on herself, and she gets frustrated with herself, and I keep trying to explain to her, I'm like, listen, you are the ultimate example of a disadvantaged student. You have done an amazing job to get to 505. Why do I say that? Because you're, both of your parents are disabled. Disabled. You pay, play the role of caregiver for both of your chronically disabled parents. You take them to and from the doctor. You cook for them every day. You clean up after them every day, right? You also work full time in the job to be able to pay for their housing because they can't work because they're disabled. In addition to that, <laughs> you go to school full time and then you try to squeak in the MCAT. You have very little left for the MCAT because you're doing all of this stuff, right? The month before the last time, exactly, it was like a little, little over a month, right before she was sick MCAT again, she found out that her parents were going to get evicted from their housing because they want to raise the rents. They were going to get evicted. And she had to scramble, scramble, file with the city, do different things to keep their housing in the weeks leading up to her MCAT. So how does that affect, how does that change her trajectory and ability to be able to score 515 on the MCAT? So the fact that she scored 505 Shoot, that's an incredible feat. Does everybody understand that's distance traveled? Working full-time, caring for your parents full-time, stressing about housing instability, stressing about food, where it's gonna come from, that makes it difficult to get the 515. So when you guys see statistics that show that minorities tend to score lower what you're seeing is a reflection that minorities statistically tend to be disadvantaged more often. Therefore, medical schools are not looking at the totality of their score. They're looking at that score in comparison to what that student should be able to do. Does everybody understand here right now what we're saying? Okay. This is what we're talking about. So when people say, oh, you know what? If you're a minority and your stats are here, that's not going to be the end-all be-all. And the reason I say this, and this is why I have to walk through this whole discussion, is because when people say you can be 
incompetent and get into medical school as a black person. That's completely incorrect. You have to meet the minimum requirement. Then beyond that, when people say you just get in because you're black, your affirmative action, the question I would ask, <coughs> right? And people say, oh, you're taking a more qualified non-minority spot, right? So for my, my Asian people, my white people who say, listen, there are black people taking my spot. And if I had been black, I would have got in. No, if you would have been disadvantaged, you would have got in, right? But we have to understand the argument that you guys are making. And this is, I see it all the time. And this is why I have to make this point. People argue that black people are taking spots from other people. If it was the case that it was a foregone conclusion, you could be inferior and apply as a black student and get in. My question to everyone here is, where the heck are all these black admits? I would love to see them. Because if we look at the statistics of the admission rates and how many and a total number of black people there are in medical school, there are nil. There are none. We don't exist. People have, who, if you see, heard me talk, I talk about myself as a unicorn. I am the unicorn. If you can name me, if you can count, if you can name me five other American black physicians, you know, right? If you go to a school and you're near a med school, if you can name five black Americans that go to that medical school, you got me. But I bet you can't. We don't exist. We don't get in. Because the disadvantage is because the obstacles stop us. And what's unspoken and what we don't talk about, we don't address. And we've tried to do this. And medical schools, I kid you guys, it's crazy. They have done studies. Medical school admissions, college admissions are racially biased. Objective studies have shown Admissions is racially biased against people of color. They literally showed people who are on admissions pictures, just pictures. And they said, hey, look at this picture. What do you think? Look at this picture. What do you think? And they measured their responses and how they responded to different things. They asked them questions. And across the board, <laughs> the admissions people said that they thought less of the darker skinned person. Imagine that. Nothing else. It's a dark-skinned person, light-skinned person. Dark-skinned person have a negative connotation about them. What's even crazier is even when you put, and this is the importance, right? I said earlier this week, just because you're black doesn't make you my black brother. Just because you're white doesn't make you my white enemy and vice versa. Even when they did this study with black people in admissions, they had negative biases against people of color. Does this make sense to everybody? Is that crazy? Do, like, would you expect to see that? And so what schools have tried to do because of this, ineffectively, is they've tried to put admissions committee members through training to help them be less biased, more culturally competent, more aware. The problem is, and this is where it gets to real life versus in a vacuum. In a vacuum, getting training sounds great. The problem is, is most people don't want to serve on the admissions committee. And I say that because it's extra time out of their schedule. So what ends up happening in admissions is they try to make the admissions process as painless as possible for admissions committee members, painless as possible. And so do you, how many people do you think would say, yes, I want to do admissions. Oh, you have to sit through four weeks of cultural competence training. We're going to eliminate your bias. We're going to put you through extensive training. You have to do four weeks of it. You don't get paid for it, but four weeks of it. After you get off work, <laughs> you finish your clinical shift. You're going to come on over to the medical school. We're going to sit down for three hours every day. And we're going to talk about cultural sensitivity and admissions and eliminating bias. Who would sign up to be on the admissions committee?
Think about that, guys. Because this is what, right? We talk about agents of change and people trying to change things, right? And people proposing different things. Whenever you're trying to make change, you always have to think very practically. Because if you make things difficult for people, they won't get it done. You won't get it done. And so what ends up happening is they get a handout on cultural competency. They get a pre-recorded lecture on cultural competency. And they say, yeah, we culturally competently train them. That's what happens. And so it persists in admissions. Do you guys understand? Even if we get beyond those biases that play out in that selection process, right? Let's talk about the process of applying as a minority and what that process is like. And for me, right? And again, I don't tell secondhand stories because I believe that the primary story is the truth. And if I can tell it to you and it's the truth, it's the truth, it's not hearsay. Hey, my cousin's buddy's friend said, to, no. I went and interviewed at an Ivy League school, okay? I only, I only interviewed at a couple schools when I applied to medical school. One of the schools I interviewed at was an Ivy League school. And I go out to this Ivy League school, I'm all excited. I go to my first interviewer and, and I walk in the room and before we even start a dialogue, the, I say, hello, how you doing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool, we sit down. And he goes, you know, I just have to start by asking you, you know, we don't have a lot of students like you, so how do you think you'd fit in? And this is the first question that my interviewer asked me. When he asked me, hey, we don't have a lot of students like you here, how would you fit in? What is he asking? What is he asking, guys? We have to think about this. Thought, 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 thought. When he says, we don't have a lot of people like you, how do you think you'd fit in here? What is he asking? We are live, guys. If you're just joining us, we're talking about med school admissions and we're talking about racism, discrimination, how race plays in admissions. We're trying to open up some eyes. If you're just joining us or you've been here, you're enjoying this, like this video right now. <clears throat> there you go, Jay. Right? And Dog Blues has it right. Secondly, we don't have blacks here. Uh, how would you fit in? Ain't no blackies here. What would your, what's your black self going to do here? Right? And Dog Blue says it seems hostile, right? So if you come into this and you hear this, right, and your interviewer is, is white and you're black and they say, listen, hey, we don't have a lot of students like you. How do you think you'll fit in? What they're saying is we don't have a lot of black students. How would you fit in? And when you ask that question, the hostile part of it is important because we talked about right? That if you weren't part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And we talk about sometimes people get hung up on, well, it wasn't overtly racist. It wasn't overtly discrimination. It wasn't, they didn't keep you from interviewing. But imagine if you open an interview with, hey, we don't have a lot of students like you. How would you fit in? That's a hostile statement that is intended to make me feel what? Uncomfortable, unwelcome. It's like starting a date off with like, whoo, I know we don't date people as ugly as you, but uh, right? That's a bad opening line. I've never started a date and said, hey, you know what, girl? <laughs> I don't normally date girls that look like you. <laughs> right? That's a bad opener. That's telling someone you don't think very highly of them. And you can imagine, right, as a pre-med, think about you guys right now. How nervous are you guys about interviewing? Right? Your whole life is right on this interview and you're nervous already. And then you get there and someone throws that at you. How do you think that affects interview performance? How do you think that affects it? Right? It's going to hurt that student's performance. 
cause you to slip up, cause you to be distracted, cause you to get downgraded, and cause you to miss an admission. Oh, you know what? He seemed great on paper, but you know, for some reason, he was just, he seemed so off in his interview. I don't know why. Let's reject it. I'll give you guys another example. Okay? One of my close friends who went to Stanford Medical School also went on an interview. <laughs> okay? Went on this interview, shows up to the interview, and it's a group interview. And at the time, this is the time. It's all relevant. This is the time when Trump was first being elected. And there were some issues that people were discussing around Trump and his candidacy and the direction of America and so on and so forth. And my friend who eventually came to Stanford is a black physician now, right? So this is a black student he's interviewing. And one of the other interviewers in the group interview says to him, Something very racially charged, very racially insensitive to him. This black student then rebuttals and says, hey, I don't appreciate that. That's inappropriate. The guy then repeats said insensitive, inappropriate statement. So then this black student addresses it louder and says, hey, I just told you that's inappropriate. Don't do it again. And that moment, the interviewer looks at the black student and says, excuse me, can you step outside? This is not a place for that. So the interviewer ignores the jab, the jab, the jab. And then when the black student goes to defend themselves, they're kicked out of the interview. How does race and discrimination play into the admissions process that way. Do you guys understand? When we talk about med school admissions, guys, and we talk about getting into medical school, if you are a disadvantaged student, you are truly disadvantaged. If you are a minority, you are going to face an uphill battle. And I'll give you guys, I don't even know if I'm going to go through the whole example, but I'll shortcut it, right? Because we want to talk. I have a student, right, who is Muslim and who wears traditional Muslim garb. And in an interview, someone told said Muslim person that their attire was inappropriate for interviewing and asked them to remove their garb so as they can see them better. Is that appropriate? How do you think that makes the interviewee feel? How do you think that made my student feel? She called me crying. I'll fast forward. She called me crying. Called me crying. Because she knew she wasn't going to get in. She knew that this person was intentionally doing that to pick at her. Do we all understand? And someone just asked, what school is that? I don't mention what schools these things happen at because the point is, it's not the individual school because they're not the individual culprit. People talk about racism and racists. It's not one person. It's the collective and the change that we all have to make. And the understanding we all have to make that it's all around us. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. Every campus in America has racists. Every campus in America has racists on that campus. You may not know who they are, but they're there. And so what we have to do is have an awareness, have a vigilance for looking for this stuff and squelching this stuff out and having a sympathy and understanding of what people have to go through. We have to understand this, guys. We have to understand. This is the process. This is what happens, what people go through. And as all this stuff happens, I'm happy to report my student got in. She got in, right? My buddy, he got in. It's fine. 
as this stuff happens, as racism and as discrimination and as all this stuff happens, I will continually say throughout this week, the way to overcome racism, what is the strongest weapon you have against racism? Excellence. Right? I got accepted to that school where that guy was rude as heck to me. If someone wants to be racism, racist, <laughs> your best defense against their racism is against their negative attitude is excellence. Because if you are truly excellent, then people can't deny that. People can't find ways to pick at you and get at you. And so what I have found that I find disheartening and people get angry at me for, and I'll tell you guys a story, okay? So we talk about this discrimination process, right? Discrimination is hard. It's hard being a minority going through higher education, going to medical school. The problem that we have is that people think medical schools care about your sob story and that medical schools are going to have pity on you for not performing. People think that just because they're black, they can wave their hand and medical schools will let them in. And I encourage everyone to understand there are no gimmies. You are entitled to nothing and no one's going to throw you a pity party. Nobody cares. Be better. And too often, again, this is going to be an unpopular statement, I get a little irritated because minority students want to focus on the reasons they can't be successful instead of trying to find solutions. And when I try to coach some of them, I'll be at a conference, right? And I'll go and I'll say something and I'll say, listen, do this. Yeah, I know you got a problem, but do this. Oh, blah, blah, blah. They get angry at me because I'm pointing to a solution. Instead of saying, oh, you're right. Oh, woe is you. You you are the This is the worst case. You definitely, oh my, I can't believe. No, I don't. I, what? How does that help you if I say that? I've got to get you over the hump. And the practical example, the way this played out, guys, is I'll tell you this crazy story. This is the way it plays out. Is that I believe I treat my students very grisly. My students who are here, am I not very grisly? I'm to the point. We got to solve some stuff around here, right? I can't let you be less than your greatness. So I don't have time to wallow with you. I'll hold your hand, I'll let you cry for a second. As you cry, I'll be teaching you how to get over that moment. And I'm at a conference, I'm giving a keynote speech. And this is a minority conference. I'm keynoting, it's like SNMA or MAPS or one of these things. And I'm keynoting and I do the keynote and then everyone liked the keynote. So then they asked me to stay and do a question and answer session with, with the students. So they're like, cool, I'll do it. So I did. After doing an hour-long keynote, I did two hours of question and answer. Ask questions, I'll answer them, whatever. And one of the students, who happened to be a black female, asked me the question and said, hey, listen, I just bobbed the MCAT, got a sub-500 score. I just got my score back a couple weeks ago. I just signed up for the MCAT next month. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a good idea? What would your response be, guys, to a student like that? who says, I just got my score back two weeks ago, sub 500. Do you think I should take it in a month? I like this. All right? People are trying to tell you that, trying to, trying to I, I call it lulling you to sleep. Right. Forcing you to right lower your standards and your expectations for yourself. We got to raise our expectations, raise our standards. So what would you say to this young woman who says that? Just got a score back sub 500 two weeks ago. Kasim, see, see one of my students, you're cheating. <laughs> What's going to be different? <laughs> Shylan, wait and study more. Right. Danny says too soon. Richard, nothing's going to change. Nope. Take your time, says Leslie. What have you done to improve? Lene says, take it in six months, right? It's over. It's obvious. So my response to her was like, hey, no, no, no. I said, let me run it down to you because I've worked with students all the time. This is what happens. You took the MCAT. You did horribly. You know you're not ready, but you're signing up for next month, not because you think you're going to be ready, but because you want to apply this cycle. You want to apply this cycle so you are willing to rush the MCAT. But I said, you're doing yourself a disservice because your score is not going to be different. It's going to be the same. And now you're going to have two failed MCAT scores, twice the demoralization, right? Twice the setback. 
Why not take your time, take four months, take six months, and get your score up? And the student said, oh, well, I think it'll be fine. I said, I stopped everything. I walked out amongst the people. I got on a knee, guys, big man on a knee. And I said, I'm pleading with you not to do this. I said, I've seen this story time and time again. You're going to take the MCAT next month. You're going to apply this cycle. You're not going to get in. And it's going to change the trajectory of your life. Don't be that story. Be better than that. Take your time and get in. Because if you take the test in a month, it's not going to be different. And you're going to apply this year and you're not going to get in. That's what I said. And I asked them, I said, Susan, can you commit to not taking the MCAT next month? And they said, no. No. And she was sitting at a table with people who were her friends, right? I'm watching the audience. They're interacting. They're her friends. I said, hey, listen, you guys are her friends, right? They said, yes. I said, can you talk to her? Can you tell her? Say, hey, listen, we love you. We care about you. We're your friends. Don't do this. It's a bad idea. Don't take your test next month. You're not going to be ready. And they sat there. Session ends. After the session, end of the day even, it was like six hours later, a bunch of people come up to me and essentially lead off with, hey, I heard you like to attack black women. And I was like, whoa, attack black women? That is a very strong statement. Like, what are we talking about? Attacking black women? Please tell me more. And these people persist to tell me that I was attacking this student, that I was telling her that they, they weren't there. The student told them that I was attacking her, that I told her that she couldn't get into medical school, that I told her she was going to fail the MCAT and couldn't get a good score, and that I basically was crapping on her dreams and telling her she would never get in. And I was like, well, you guys weren't even there, first of all. But secondly, I've never told a student ever, ever that you can't get into medical school. Ever. It's not my thing. I, I believe any student can get into medical school. It's put work in. And I said, secondly, I told her exactly the truth and exactly what was happening. And they said, well, you could have said it nicer. And I said, she wasn't listening to me when I said it nicer. So I said it more direct, more harsh, to plead with her to do the right thing. And sometimes, guys, we look for people who are going to pity us, who are going to tell us it's okay to be average. It's okay to be less than we can be. It's okay to be a failure. And they're going to have all these excuses, all these reasons, but really what they're doing is they're lulling you to sleep. Lullaby, making you feel super comfortable, cozy, fall asleep. And then you're asleep and your dreams pass you by. And what people don't recognize is it may hurt your feelings when I tell you you're not ready for the MCAT, but I'm saying that because I care about you. Because I understand nobody's going to have pity on you. No one's going to care about your sob story that you're going to write inappropriately in your personal statement about your bad GPA, about your low MCAT score. Nobody's going to be like, oh, wow, really? <gasps> you only you had to apply this year, so you retook it and got a low score, and that's why it's so low? Oh, in that case, we'll let you into our medical school. No one's going to have pity on you. They're just going to reject you like the other 50% of students who apply who get rejected. We have to be honest. So through all this conversation, I keep coming back to this. Racism is real. Discrimination is real. People do not like people as much with dark skin. Reality. But with all of that, it is 2020, guys. And there's no reason you can't succeed if you do what's required of you. You prepare. You put in the work. You feed your brain to become excellent. And the problem is, hear me and hear me now. Hear me and hear me now. Do you guys want to know why there's no black people in medical school? Why we suck at diversity in medical school? Because we are still focused. We have a 1980s model for increasing diversity in medicine. And what I'm about to say is very controversial. And again, I here come the boo birds, right? I know I'm going to get some thumbs down for this. I know I'm going to get some messages from people who are going to be outraged. I think I'm talking about them. We have lost track of time. We have lost track of time and we still think, right? And Britt hinted at this on his Instagram earlier today. We have lost sight of the mission, of what's required, of the solution. We still think exposure is the key to increasing diversity in medicine. What's exposure, guys? Exposure is, oh, I've seen 
a black physician. I've seen a physician of color who looks like me. If we increase exposure, if we show minorities that other minorities have become doctors, we will increase diversity. That's the exposure model. Do you guys read these summer programs that say, listen, we provide exposure? To exposure is the focus. You have a lot of people who are on social media and they pose and they dance and they look at me. I'm a black physician and I'm a, a minority physician. I'm a woman physician. Look at me. You can be this. That's exposure. And what I continually say is exposure doesn't work. And we know this because we've been trying it for 40 years and it doesn't move the needle. We have to understand if we want to increase diversity, we've got to focus on what? Empowerment. Because like Ben just said, exposure is passive. It's not about saying, hey, look at me. Look at me now. That doesn't get people into medical school. You got to switch to a empowerment model where instead of saying, hey, look at me now, you say, let me show you how. Do we understand the difference? We cannot continue to say, look at this. You can be a doctor because this person is black and they're a doctor. We had a black president. It's obvious. If someone can be a black president, I, I'll be totally honest. I never thought in my whole lifetime I would see a black president. Never thought it was possible. We had a black president. If we can have a black president, shoot, you can be a black anything. So exposure is not the, the way. We need empowerment, which is giving people the how, the tools, the skills to become excellent, to become proficient, to become the doctor. And it's a big, big difference. Because I go, and again, I get in trouble because I, I say the truth. I say, why the heck is this doctor speaking? This doctor shouldn't be allowed to speak. Why? Because they have nothing to offer these students other than, hey, look at me. Let me tell you about my specialty and what I do. How does that help these students get into medical school? All of you guys who go to conferences, what's the most popular sessions at conferences? Exactly, Brent. Temporary motivation is empowerment. It ain't. But what is the most... And I, it was, we're going to have a real conversation here, guys. Because we're talking about, okay, how do we overcome? Because, right, again, the problem is obvious. I hope. And I hope through these stories it's obvious. But what's the solution? What's the most popular sessions at all these conferences? When you guys go to a conference, what's the first thing you're looking to sign up for? Come on, guys. Let's talk about it. This is real. And I like this, while we wait for you guys' answers, Micah hit it on the, on the head. For some, it takes too much work, and they're not willing to put that work in. It's easier to be mediocre and make excuses. Micah, you, you hit the nail on the head. For some people, it's like, oh, if I try and I fail, then that's bad. But if I don't try and I fail, I can just say, oh, it was because I didn't try. And you guys see it, right? You guys put it in the box. It's sutures. It's ultrasound, right? It's that garbage. And my whole point to everybody, and again, I say this at conferences and I get pulled aside. Uh, can you please not say that? Because, you know, we have a lot of people sign up who are excited to go through suturing. And you just told them all not to go to suturing. I actually, I'll post a video. I gave a speech at UCLA. Brent was, it was, it, I, I saw, Brent's my guy. If you guys don't know Brent, please follow him. It's at the real student mentor on Instagram. Brent is white. <laughs> Brent comes to all my conferences, rain, snow, shine, black, whatever. So we were at SNMA, I think it was SNMA or Math 1 or 2 at UCLA. And I'm giving this workshop. And I kid you not, the title of the workshop was Black Power. <laughs> I gave a workshop titled Black Power. And Brent is sitting dead center, all black people, and Brent. And I was like, this is the best, right? It's awesome. But it was funny because the session, they were like, oh, I'm like, they're like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. We should have more. I'm like, we can't have more. I'm doing another session after this. Why don't you guys stay? Oh, we got suturing coming up. I'm like, don't go to suturing. I said, what good is it to suture, right? Leslie remembers this, right? Was at this conference. People were so mad. I said, what good is knowing how to suture 
when you can't get into medical school and get the licensure to be able to legally suture people. I said, if you can't get into medical school, you suturing on a pig's foot does nothing for your career. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, man, okay, you only got these students for a limited time. Why do we offer ultrasound and suturing? Because the kids think it's cool. It's exposure, clinical exposure. So they don't need clinical exposure. They need empowerment. We got to teach them how to get into medical school. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? I don't understand. You guys are, are freshmen in college, juniors in college. What the what value does ultrasound have to you? I know doctors who can't ultrasound. I know how to ultrasound because I'm an anesthesiologist. Outside of us, who really ultrasounds? What are you doing? That's the difference. That's exposure as opposed to empowerment. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular because every conference does this. And there are so many people, and I, and I love and I appreciate people who want to get out in front and show people, look at me. And I'm not criticizing them, but I'm pointing out to you guys why we have made darn near zero progress in diversity in the last 40 years. And you guys saw the statistic a couple years ago, right? We had the same percentage, the same number, I'm sorry, the same number of black males in medical school as we did in like 1968, something ludicrous like that. Imagine that. It's 2020. And we have the same number of black males as we did in 1968, a couple years after Jim Crow. Think about that. We were segregated a few years before that, and then we had more black people than we do now. I just, I, like, so I'm just trying to, like, it doesn't move the needle. And that's why I'm constantly, right? Again, I'm not very popular on social media because I, I'm not, like... I can't post something and not educate. I'm sorry. I like to educate. I like to empower because you looking at me in my white coat, right? I can have a photo shoot in my scrubs. Do you guys understand? I could have, I could have a photo shoot. We're live. My dad's calling. I could have a photo shoot in my scrubs. But how does you seeing me in my scrubs help you get to medical school? Does everybody understand what I'm saying right now? Because <laughs> I work in imagining. <laughs> Does everybody understand? We have to understand the difference. I, I like. I'm just being honest. Like, I realize almost I do vlog day in my life, day in my life, day in my life for what? If I don't have the skills to live your life, why am I watching this? And actually, Nat, I like that comment too. It's easy to go do that stuff. It pacifies people. I love that word, Nat. Thank you for sharing. They think they're making progress. I love it. I talked about lulling you to sleep like a lullaby, and Nat brings it the other end, and they shove a pacifier in your mouth. You're suckling, suckling on the pacifier and losing your dream and not even recognizing it. There's a big difference. And I like what Kelly said. And, and, and the reason I ask this question is, I, 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 you guys are the future, right? You guys are the future. So you guys have to understand this so you can make a difference. It's important to know history and not try to erase it. It's better to learn from mistakes and create a better future. So as we talk about, I just talked about exposure versus empowerment. Look at what all these programs, what all these people have been doing for forever. And ask yourself, is it exposure or is it empowerment? Ask yourself. And then ask yourself, wait a minute, how much of that exposure has elevated and done the change in numbers and increased diversity? It does it. Yes, yes. And people are taking the, the discussion a whole separate way. I'm not saying clinical exposure, like being an EMT or being a medical scribe is bad. That's not what I'm saying. But how many people do you guys know? Now, I'll ask another serious question. This is for, for real evaluation, right? This is coaching. How many of you guys know people who have hundreds, if not thousands of hours of clinical shadowing, clinical volunteering, medical scribing, EMTing, but you know every time they talk to you, they're not on track to get into medical school? 
because their grades are not good. Because they don't have any other meaningful extracurriculars. How many of you guys know these people? I'm telling you, I get the emails, I get the DMs every day. Hey, Punto, you didn't get into medical school. I have 10,000 hours of shadowing. I have 5 million job hours as a scribe. But my GPA is 2.4. What do you think? We have to pay attention. The, the problem is not the solution. The problem is there's no diversity in medicine. The problem is there's very little diversity in higher education. The problem is there's discrimination and racism. But how do we fix it? It's very hard. If you guys have ever been in a relationship, it's very hard to change someone else. If you're going to make that relationship work, you've got to do the changing. And it's the same way as a society. It's very hard to collectively change society. We're not going to eliminate racism and discrimination. It's important to talk about it so that way we can have more education, more information, and to reduce racism and discrimination. We're still going to have it. That's the, that's the reality. So the most important thing you can do is change yourself and be better and be excellent and be incredible and get in. Right? And I love what Shane just said. I appreciate it. You guys have some wonderful comments today. Empowerment is a seed that needs to be watered with hard work in order for that person to thrive. Right? And Taylor knows. <laughs> Taylor, don't post that. These people don't even know that, right? Too many people are out here, again, looking for a pity party, allergic to hard work. I said previously, anyone and everyone get into medical school, but not everyone will. And the separator is, are you willing to do the work? I really love my student group, my cult of greatness group. I love it because my personality, <laughs> I weed out the people who are lazy, quick, like quick. So I have a group, I've cultivated a group of hard workers, of grinders who I know will be successful because they won't quit until they succeed. They will not quit. No rest, no peace until we get right. My students will not quit, and that's why they'll be successful. And for all of you guys, you've got to focus in on your life, on being excellent. Right? My students are making fun of me right now, my two hours of clinical volunteering. If you guys didn't know, I got into Stanford with two hours of clinical volunteering, and zero, count them, zero hours of clinical shadowing in college. Because I was empowered and I was educated and my grades were incredible. My MCAT score was impeccable. impeccable. My extracurriculars are impregnable, as Mike Tyson would say. Yeah, and Yusuf is, has it right. Physicians are hardworking, y'all. Not the smartest, just hard worker. And if you guys willing to work hard, whatever your skin color is, whatever your obstacle is, Whatever your disadvantage is, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, guys. And I know we're talking about race right now, but there's plenty of you guys who are not minorities who are going through something, who are on here. The way through to the other side is hard work and persistence and never, don't ever quit, y'all. And don't let anybody else get you to quit or get you to shut it down. You know what I say? Like, like what, what, what do they got in the NBA right now? Not rest management, not time management. What is it called? Oh, I'm blanking right now. Please help me out. Kawhi Leonard, what does he do? Work management, workload management. I forget. But essentially, some of you guys are in that kind of program where you allow people to get you to go half speed, to shut it down, to do all that. You got to be running full speed, y'all. You got to be playing every game. You got to get in there. got to hoop. All right. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> I've made too many French fried burgers, but now I know the Big Mac is the way to go. <laughs> I thought that was a, I don't know if you guys like, I thought that video was pretty spot on. When Burger King introduced the French fry burger, right? He introduced the French fry burger. And Rom just said it, right? 
Hard work, hard work and grit is what moves the needle, 100%, right? That's accurate. Hard work and grit, you'll get there. But we cannot be lazy. So this is a question. How do you go about giving your exposure that gives opinions on the system without offending others when you don't know where they stand? The problem is, guys, is you're too busy trying to appease people. Not everybody likes me. <laughs> I'm perfectly okay with that. Why? Because I like my gosh darn self. And if we, right, and this is important. I talked about how early on in college, as a minority, as a first-generation student, I felt like I didn't belong. I doubted myself. The tipping point for me was saying, listen, I'm not going to try to be anybody else. I'm not going to try to look like them. I'm not going to try to... I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to be my own self and I'm going to be happy with who I am. And there's a lot of people who are students of color, who are in higher education, who are in medical training, who aren't happy with who they are because they feel self-conscious about how they look and the color of their skin and their background. We've got to get comfortable. We can't worry about other people not liking what we believe in. As long as it's you're being true to yourself. But too many guys out here faking the funk, trying to get some Instagram love. Be true to yourself, guys. Be true to yourself and be successful. And again, I never, I don't, I, I don't shoot to offend, but if my truth and the truth of this world offends you, then you're offended. And <laughs> and remember that guys there's somebody out there who likes you for who you are you don't have to change yes yes all right can we quit we fit seven minutes was this a good time for everybody, everybody have a good time today if you had a good time today like this video right now let me know comment in the box for neil let me know you had a good time today you're learning right on says fourth year dental student here five is very interesting because as hard as it is because as it's hard to get into professional school, it is harder to get out, right? Exactly. Mental toughness. The whole journey, y'all, is hard. Merrill's a medical student. It's hard, y'all. Oh, I like that, Kasim. The one book that we don't read is our book, The Book Inside. All right, David Goggins, who's bomb. If you guys have not read David Goggins, it's good. I like this too. <clears throat> Need to have the grit and resilience. Like Tyson says, everyone has a plan until you get hit in the face. Got to be able to bounce back. And pre-med and higher education, life in general is going to hit you in the face plenty of times. I done dotted my eye many times. Black eye, black eye, black eye. But I fight through it. Can't be knocked down. Can't quit. Okay. So uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. Do you guys want to do another day? Should we do, another, should we do a fifth day in a row talking about systemic racism? Should we move up? into medical school? Should we move up into residency? Should we talk about that? Lakeisha, I'm glad you had a great time. Stay in the course, staying on your grind. I appreciate it. Yes, knowledge is truly powerful. And Jazz J says this. I'm a black student with a 3.4 GPA, 3.0 science GPA. I know my stats are low, but I tried my hardest while I was homeless, lost my job, and have a learning disability. How do I talk about this? Well, the sad thing, Jazz J, is that your story, no one's going to hear because your 3.0 science GPA is going to get you weeded out at most medical schools. So even if you do tell a great story about what you've been through, a lot of people won't see it because you don't meet the minimum qualifications for GPA. So what you need to do is work on, through your difficulties of situation, figuring out how you can maneuver to improve that science GPA. Because if you don't, you're going to have a hard time having anyone listen to your story. But if you raise it up a little bit and you get in range, then you'll find people who will listen to your story. And if you tell your story authentically and real, it'll be incredible. We just had an at boot camp session where one of my students was, we were reviewing one of my students' disadvantage statements. And we were all mocking her and making fun of her because her story sounded completely like it was ridiculous. She was like, 
As I flipped burgers in Burger King, which was one of my three jobs, I was barefoot and the grease was popping and my other job was Blockbuster and it was in a neighborhood where people got shot. It's like this whole crazy story. I'm like, nah, that's not a good story. Tell your story as is and we reshaped it. So any story, anything you've been through, any progress, there's never a shame in telling your story, but tell it authentically. Tell it the real truth. Don't lie. Tell the truth. All right, we'll come back for a fifth session. The group has voted yes. We voted back on the island. All right, so I'll see you guys tomorrow, 5 o'clock, and we'll get at it. Um, thank you guys for hanging out with me. Um, I appreciate you guys all uh, for being here. I'll see you guys tomorrow, 5 o'clock. Thank you guys for joining me again. Uh, I'm Dr. Andre Pineset. My website is studenttransformation.com. If you guys are into that empowerment thing, right, if you're into being your best, get over to studenttransformation.com, check out the website, uh, get into a course, get into a program, something or other. And I'll see you guys tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Later, guys. Today is the day, guys. No more excuses. No more complaining. You're going to take your future in your own hands. You're going to dominate. You're going to be successful. Get to my website, studenttransformation.com. I challenge you. What are you going to do today to make your life better?